0: Rappin PE. I'm your host, Stephen Buller, aka Beardrip Buller. As my Twitter and Instagram handles suggest, this is the place where we explore precarity, pedagogy, and physical education. This podcast is dedicated to physical educators of the future, past, and present. In episode three, we look to explore Sarah Flory's critical review of pedagogy of physical education in urban schools and discuss our experiences teaching in urban contexts as well as preparing future physical educators for the environment. We ended the podcast a little early to accommodate our guest schedule and we all look forward to continuing this topic on separate podcasts in the future to have a more focused conversation. I felt like this was the perfect opening podcast for wrapping PE and it really showcased the complexities and difficulties of teaching in specific urban environments. Here we go! This is the third episode and we're going to start off by introducing Sarah. We're going to go around the horn. So Sarah, who are you and what makes you, you?
1: Hey, Stephen. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm Sarah Florey. I am an associate professor at the university of South Florida in balmy Tampa, Florida. Um, gosh, what makes me, me?
0: I have to start off with a hard question. I
1: know. Um, <laughs> I've been told by several people that I like. There's no, like, I'm I'm real and like a little bit frank. Like, I don't pretend to be this like uppity scholar, very professional. Oh, you must do things this way. I'm like, no, like, like just be realistic. Just be a real person. That's exhausting to be two different people. So, um, my my doctoral advisor once told me, no one wants to hire a clown, Sarah. But um, I like to laugh and I like to make my students laugh. Uh, that's probably why I do well with the older ones. And um, so yeah, that's, that's. I don't know. You you, you see what, what you see is what you get. I don't know, maybe maybe that's too much, but.
0: I kind of like that, that human piece. Um, that's kind of like my whole image is like the beard, tattoos yeah. on me. So why not yeah. be you? Like that's right. the point of pretending? So I love it.
1: Yeah, that. exactly.
0: Let's go to Risto, who are you? What makes you?
2: All right, I'm gonna go off my Twitter profile. (laughs) Uh, Researcher in physical education and after school programs, traveler, retired bartender, grappler, and host of the HPE podcast. And I work as a assistant professor at George Mason University in health and physical education. That makes me me, pretty much.
0: Pretty much there. That is the perfect Risto response that I was waiting for. So thank you for-
2: And Sarah helped me true. make my Twitter profile. So she it's helped true. me write that in Edinburgh in Scotland.
1: Mm-hmm. So at mm-hmm. a cafe. Mm-hmm. It's true. That's a good, it's some good
0: facts and like history right there to go with. All right, Zach, who are you? What makes you,
3: you? Uh, well, I'm Zach Godro. I'm a first-year teacher, finishing up my first year working in Anacostia, Washington, D.C. at Neville Thomas Elementary School. Uh, I'm also the director of the Tiger Wrestling Club, and um, that's pretty much it. i have first-year teaching, but I've got my sights set on uh, academia, getting my doctorate, and hoping to do the big macro changes that we need and hoping to contribute to everything that I can uh, along the way.
0: Awesome. Good to hear. Um, here we go it's for some silly ones, make it easy. What or which is better dogs or cats?
1: Dogs hands down. That's true. They're happy to dogs.
0: See Two
2: hands down. Dogs. Let's see. Yeah, okay. Dogs are, uh, dogs are better. Yeah. Just I, think fact.
1: I, have, I think we have four paws down for dogs. Absolutely. Dogs <laughs> I, are. I have a dog and a cat.
0: I love the paws down.
1: <laughs> but the cat took a lot longer to like like me and not want to kill me in my sleep than the dog. So that's why I'm going with that.
0: It kind of
2: scares me. Will you share publicly the name of your dog?
1: Of course I will. My dog's name is Kenny Loggins. He is a stray <laughs> from Puerto Rico that we adopted. And at first we thought he was some sort of corgi mix because he has a very long log type body. If he was a girl, he would have been Penny Loggins. So the name came before the dog. So that is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I love that.
0: For the next one, uh, which is better, coffee or tea?
1: Coffee. All the way.
2: Hot coffee. Hot (laughs) coffee.
1: There's a story behind this.
3: Coffee all day. Let's hear the story.
1: Yes, yes. I I (laughs) live in Florida on the surface of the sun. Um, Zach, you lived here at one time. You know that it's very hot all the time here. So I drink iced coffee exclusively. And I forget that people don't drink iced coffee. I I forget that. And maybe some colleagues stayed at my house for a conference and they were like, oh, where's the coffee maker? And I was like, coffee maker? I don't have a coffee maker. I drink iced coffee every day. And um, that caused risto to clutch his pearls and um, <laughs> i have lost hosting points for this oh. and um so i you know I've, I've offered a redo i'll get a coffee pot and i'll even buy some nice <laughs> beans i do have a coffee grinder because sometimes i make my own cold brew so i have a coffee grinder for the beans so i think i can make this happen
2: i've you only lost host points not host status and that's what's important
1: Thank you. Still
0: <laughs> allowed to host. Thank you. I'll be back. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, here we go. Last one of the easy questions. What is your all-time favorite physical activity? It can be a sport. It could be mountain climbing. Whatever it is, what is your favorite?
1: So, I just gave this up recently because it was taking a lot of my time. But I played roller derby for eight years. And there is nothing like roller derby because you're on wheels and you're hitting your friends and you're fearing for your life every few minutes. Um, I really enjoyed my days as a roller derby player. So I'll go with that.
0: I don't think I can handle roller derby. <laughs> my body would just crumble and I'd be on the floor and just tapping out. I'd be like, I'm done. I'm out.
2: Speaking of tapping out, here's a segue. Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Oh, boom. Segue done. Uh, I, I grew up. Uh, I grew up wrestling, and so wrestling hurts as an adult a lot more. So it's uh, it's easier to be closer to the mat than being thrown onto the mat. So I have uh, adapted, and I I'm an avid jujitsu practitioner. I would say. Hmm.
0: Definitely another one of those activities that I don't know if my body would hold up anymore but it seems like a lot of fun i might jump in one day just to see how fast i have to tap it mix it up <laughs> what's
3: it's pretty low impact um yeah i i grew up wrestling too i love wrestling um if there were some open mat sessions around here i'd go and get some folk style in but um i have not branched into bjj like risto um but i i love lifting weights i really love powerlifting and doing deadlifts and that's really it yeah but coaching wrestling is pretty sweet keeps keeps me active even if they're in elementary school i get
0: dogpiled sometimes yeah i can imagine coaching especially wrestling would be very interesting with the younger ones just one i just could not get into interfered with basketball
3: Ah. yeah yeah and then huge waste of mat space it's
0: like "Mm, am i gonna blow out my shoulder wrestling Nah, I can't do it. Too much of a risk factor. <laughs> yeah. Um. Here we go. Last question before we kick into your paper or critical review. What do you believe is your purpose as an educator and as a human?
1: Wow. That is a really super duper philosophical question. I think, and this changes, I think all the time. And I think that's Absolutely. the way it is for a lot of people, but um I am starting to recognize that um I'm pretty diplomatic and I'm decent at like organization slash leading groups. So I think my purpose as a human and as an educator is to sort of help folks see see the different sides to things. Um, you know, change takes a long time, and so I, you know, I, I never th- expect that I'm going to get students that come from one particular set of values. I'm going to completely flip their philosophies in the five semesters I get them, but just to kind of get them to see the different sides and consider those, and and you know, be a reflective practitioner, if you will. Yeah, yeah I'm going to go with that.
0: Yeah, I told you that was the last of the easy questions. <laughs> yeah, that was that wasn't an
1: easy question either. Good grief.
0: How about you, Risto? Well, we just had uh, we just
2: had our um, philosophy assignment for our elementary methods course. So I'm really prepared for this one. because um, I every year when I get this assignment, I redo my teaching philosophy from my job applications and I go back and re-kind of tweak it. And so my still to this day, the kind of anchoring metaphor is a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. And so my Uh, mission as an educator is to light fires. And so the fire being education and passion for people to go out and empower young people to find joy and meaningful movement and physical activity. So I had this prepared because we just gave this assignment and Sarah gave me time to think. So (laughs) that's my, that's my, (laughs)
0: that's my goal. Well, I find it very beautiful. I think we actually use that in our honors fraternity was like during a ceremony the lighting and like the visual like i love that it's a great one how about you zach where are we at with you (laughs) uh as a human
3: um like my purpose is to provide for and defend my my family and my my kin i guess um and pursue self actualization, which sort of ties into being an educator and I, th- I think that's what I'm supposed to do is be an educator and that's depend the purpose of that is different depending on the context like right now it's trying to trying to find the the best practice and be as culturally relevant as I possibly can for my students now, but then it's also trying to improve the teaching opportunities for the other teachers in my school and then all you know when I grow up in academia it's to it's to improve the opportunities for PE and just to improve PE in general and really teach lifelong fitness skills and so it purpose as an educator is just going to be different depending on where my mindset's at.
0: Yeah um kind of one of those things I thought about as Sarah mentioned it does change. Mm-hmm. i'm currently in the process of changing mine completely Like I have this whole like idea like philosophy that it's like a tree like the way that it grows how the earth impacts and like in a forest is like a tree stronger in a forest or outside of a forest so i think for me most of it's like connections and how we interact as risto said you're not going to ruin your fire if you spread it from person to person so or light a candle yeah but let's get on to the big stuff i guess so let's Let's cover your paper pedagogy of pe in urban schools a critical review one quote that kind of like stuck at or stood out to me and brought up imagery of another book that i read the quote goes urban students and schools were portrayed negatively in research as unmotivated unwilling to learn and with uninvolved uninterested parents that one reminded me of If you've read Christopher Emden's book for white folks who teach in the hood, he draws a comparison between the Carlisle school and how the Carlisle school in Pennsylvania was used to assimilate native Americans into white culture. Mm -hmm. And my question is to the group, how do we move away from forcing assimilation to create environments focused on actual education and not changing people to be what society sort of wants them to be?
1: Whew. I thought you were going to throw us some softballs here, Stephen. I was—I was promised softballs. Mm-hmm. I'm kidding. I can make it um, a softball. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, those are great questions. Um, I think Christopher Emden is brilliant. Uh, I saw him probably three or four years ago at uh, an AERA convention, and I was like, oh my gosh, this dude is the coolest person I've ever listened to in my entire life. Um, so I have not read his book, but it's on my reading, my summer reading. You know, it's hard to, how, how do we get away from that when everything that you read about schools, it's it's steeped so deeply in like white middle-class values. And that's why you see, you know, differences in rates of discipline and the differences in rates of graduation and all that are so vast between um, white and black students there's a ton of research about the achievement gap and and that's actually not really a thing it's a you know it's because again so much is steeped in white middle class values that I think one of the ways that we kind of get away from that is that we start helping our, our pre-service teachers understand and, and really critically look at you know what this was all about and when we when education, you know, was first introduced and why it works for certain people and why it doesn't work for other people. And just being able to recognize that, I think sometimes can help folks be like, oh, oh, maybe, maybe I can change, you know, a few things here and there and make this a better experience for, for other students. So I guess I'll start with that.
2: And I, I feel that, you know, Stephen, you, you, we emailed back and forth about this and you, you brought up earlier about this line of, are these the canaries in the coal mines? Um, Mm -hmm. And it made me think back to Kathy Ennis's uh, uh, RQES article in 1999 that talked about responding to disengaged students. And the question is, you know, that's 1999. You know, it's 2020. And so have we responded to those disengaged students? And I would say no, you know, not, not in a wide scope. And there are tons of schools that this doesn't get addressed. And I think part of it is an issue in teacher education as well. I think that, um, you know, if you look at culturally responsive pedagogy, you're sure to get it. If you go to USF, you're sure to get it. If you go to Ohio University and study with Jenna Walton-Passette or to Ohio State with Sue Sutherland and these people who are really passionate about this and they do research on it. But I'm not going to call out any names, but just pick up a like a random list of peat programs and pick one randomly that is somewhere that doesn't have a researcher that's interested in this topic. Does it get covered? No. And as we notice, with you know, if you look at 538 or whatever um, peat programs in the U.S., only you know 20 of them are actively pushing out the research in this topic area. So where the, you know, it's just not consistent across the board and I don't know how to make it consistent, but I, you know, I'm it's easier pointing out problems than creating solutions, right? So I'm pointing out problems instead.
0: Yeah, even going back to like my, where I graduated from, we had some great professors, but it did push white middle-class American ideals. Like that's what it was. It was, you did these sports, you did these activities. There was no actual engagement or like critical theory on anything. It was just like glorified college level phys ed like I had in high school. Oh, you can do this? Cool. Oh, you can teach? Cool. Move on. Some of them were great and did some great stuff in the field, but it was just for that context. And considering we were so close to Philadelphia, so close to Chester, who both have very different dynamics and that's where the jobs were. They didn't prep anybody for any of that, yeah. which is scary to think about. So what do you have uh, to contribute? Zach, like what's your thought?
3: Yeah. So, you know, Risto mentioned, uh, I, I got to, I, I did my PE training at USF with Dr. Flory and we got to do all these things. And now that I've been really really reading her research and reading the research of other people, it's so much about like relationship building is important in education all around, but especially in urban education, and to really create what ultimately is described as culturally sustainable physical education, we gotta we need to build these relationships better and just just better and have more opportunities to do that um i think a big part is going through um some school change and just a quick example is one thing that's noted in one of dr flory's papers is one lesson a week and like there what am i supposed to do with relationship building is the most important in this context there's only so much that i can do here and i think it comes down to some some school reform but i think as far as teacher education like if urban schools are the the fastest growing school demographic, then why aren't we teaching more of it? And if two schools, two colleges are really getting into preparing PE teachers for an urban context, this seems, it just seems like they're like, even at a university level, like less of the white Eurocentric way and more how to code switch and how to grow relationships um, you, around trauma theory and all these other things, the forced assimilation and the, the critical review was was incredible. And like the, the last sent, the last paragraph really struck me. And I didn't even think about forced assimilation until I concluded with that. I was like, I caught myself doing that. And the only way I could think to, to prevent that is to prepare teachers for that teaching in a white suburb should be like a secondary thing. That's super easy. Everything I've read with the researcher anecdotal has been anyone can, can, anyone can jump in there and teach. It's it takes more skill to teach in an urban environment. So we need to focus more on preparing teachers for an urban environment. And then we can like be like, Oh yeah. And this is the white suburb way. And like, you'll be fine if you just apply these relationship building tactics. But that's, I could, I could ramble on and on as I have a girlfriend's heard me.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the purpose of this podcast is to have those, to have those conversations. Um, one word that I love that you use was like code switching. Mm-hmm. I think that is an important skill that we completely neglect and we don't teach educators how to code switch or how mm-hmm. to assimilate or how to make those adjustments in those environments that was all learned on my end. I had to figure out like, what's this school culture? How do I get into it? Because it's not me, it shouldn't be me delivering my culture. It should be me learning your culture, me assimilating, not us assimilating you. So like, what are some ways that you think teachers should learn how to assimilate into the culture instead of being the assimilators? Does Mm -hmm. that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to jump in here and just sort of, Zach, you're making me sound so so much cooler than I think I am, and I appreciate you for that. <laughs> um, so, in our program, I purposely take my methods students um, at the sec- I teach the secondary level methods, and so I purposely take the students out to an urban school. Um, I started doing that a few years ago when I had a small cohort and having having kids, you know, teach sport education to to one another when there's 12 in a cohort. It just wasn't going to happen. And so I started um, looking for some school partners that were nearby to the school and that had a mostly urban population because that's where the jobs are usually. And because, like Zach was saying, most of my students were coming from white middle class backgrounds and they were, you know, they were just that Anyone can teach in a, in a if they come from a white middle class background, you can, you can work with white middle class kids because the cultures are very similar. So I started doing that just to sort of get some uh, exposure and to start having the students like see what it's like. And different cohorts have had different reactions and, and successes, I suppose. Um, and I have tried to model some teaching in the schools so that, you know, I'm not just giving lip service, but I'm actually in there teaching. And that's difficult because, you know, I'm an older lady now and, and I don't look cool compared to like the, you know, my young, you know, uh, students that are like closer to the ages of the, of the students. So I, you know, my, my, my cool points have definitely dropped. I'm sure that's not even what they say anymore. I'm sure Risto would have like the, the, the latest slang on that.
0: It's your drip. Yeah. your drip. I do
1: do know about the drip. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Oh Yeah, I've got none. Um, but I just, you know, having the students get some experience, and I feel like I'll be very honest. Like I don't feel like I'm doing enough with the students because, like, they don't even read. They don't even read my research. We have we have five very short semesters to cram a lot of material in, and so mm-hmm. it's about you know learning the, um, learning about the different curricular models and getting some experience and sort of just starting to open their eyes to what the possibilities are and to you know shut down deficit perspectives and white savior perspectives like that's like that's like the baseline that i want to achieve in those in those short few semesters because i think i i think that's like i had mentioned before change takes time and you have to do a lot of critical reflection and and sometimes i don't know how much of that can be accomplished in in one semester Um, and so I, i try to kind of build it in throughout the entire program Um, And now I've rambled so much. I don't remember the original question code switching. Is that what we were talking about?
0: (laughs) Uh, We were just, I mean, I think you provided one of the examples there. (laughs) Um, Just, is is this how your lectures go?
1: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Zach, feel free. Feel free. I don't lecture a lot, but
0: no,
3: it's, it's a conversation. Yeah.
0: mm -hmm. So I guess I was trying to get at is like, what are ways that you can teach teachers to take part in the process of assimilation into their school culture or not even the school culture, but their students' culture.
1: Yeah, well, and I, we definitely.
0: Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, you mentioned uh, deficit.
1: mm -hmm.
0: So on the opposite end, I just drew a blank in my brain.
1: It's all good,
2: it's all good. Asset
0: perspective, right? Oh, restarted additive, additive.
2: Perspective. yes yeah, this is yeah an offline conversation here no i i i'd like to jump in if i if i may i think yeah. um you know first of all whatever i say on this podcast should be you know interpreted through a white finnish guy who's middle-aged and in you know and a peri-urban environment which is what my friend said we live in, which is just outside of D.C., not in D.C., but it's peri-urban. It's not suburban. So a peri-urban white male who, um, you know, I talk about Eurocentric values. Like that's how I grew up. So mm-hmm. I grew up in Europe, and so even more so. Um, but when I when I first started teaching, I taught in Central Harlem, just like a few blocks up from Teachers College and you know I had a very eye-opening experience when I when I taught at that elementary school for for four years and in my last year I started doing my dissertation data collection and I went up and I took the uh, metro north up to uh Scarsdale and uh, you know these more or way more affluent areas um and I walked into an elementary school and I was just like my jaw dropped because The teacher just said, "Okay, boys and girls, line up in five lines, and sit down, and hold the basketball. And when I say go, you do this." I'm like, "Oh, it's just like paradise. They just do anything you say, and like (laughs) everything works perfectly." And I'm like, "I, I, I could teach here, like easy." And I'm during that four years, I struggled a lot teaching in in that urban school. And even in the first year, I called my mentor on my walk back to uh TC class and I called her and I'm like I don't think I can do this this is this is wild like I I have no control of the classroom I don't know what I'm doing everything that I learned in the books does not work and I'm doing this completely wrong and you know she pushed me to reflect a lot more on my practices and you know luckily you know I was at teacher's college taking critical pedagogy courses and race and gender and culture and like I was enacting those things as I was doing it, but I think that's one of the issues with, you know, sending people like me into urban schools. Limited experience. I'm learning as I'm going. Mm-hmm. I I am not coming in with the skill set. I'm like reacting. So maybe I figured it out in like two three years. But w- like, what did I do for the two three years? Like, I was not the most effective educator. Um, so you know, when I went to Cal State Bulletin, I started talking about these things, but we weren't going to urban schools, like uh, like Sarah, Sarah talked about taking her class too. And we just had a recent uh, research project last year with one of my old uh, students who took a job at a really, really big urban school district at a rough school. Like, you know, students had brought guns to school. They, you know, smoke and sell weed, like in the, in the bathrooms and, you know, get in fights that just break up his entire class that, you know, and I went in and observed him and I just sat there and I'm like, wow, I, I did not prepare him for this. I prepared him to work in suburban white Eurocentric school that, you know, the students follow what he did. And he had a really good, um, master teacher and had a great, you know, great example of what to do in that school, but it didn't translate. And you know, he spent the whole year trying to figure out how to build relationships. But I think one of Zach's points earlier was if you have one class per week, like what kind of situation is that? Can can I build really like meaningful relationships if I see them on Wednesday for an hour? No. And that's why I think the school change has to come as well, because it's not just, we can change Pete, but even if I had a redo with my old student and drop them into the same school and the support isn't there, then it doesn't work. And that's why we have a huge turnover in, in teachers. They go out and they're unprepared never heard of trauma informed teaching, they've never heard of culturally responsive pedagogy and they get dropped in because that's the job that they start with and they're out within 2-3 years.
0: Yeah, this this past uh well beginning of the school year, that was my transition from a charter into the school district of Philadelphia. We hired over 700 teachers coming into this year. I think they hired over 30 some physical education teachers and at this point numbers might be off probably half of those new PE teachers already have quit at this point because there's a there's numerous jobs open every year it's just a turnstile and I think definitely you played into that i diaristo that a lot of people aren't prepared for this so when they go in it's like that immense culture shock and they don't understand that it's this long process like zach mentioned about how are you going to build those relationships that you're probably not going to be teaching much at all your first year and i think that's a hard reality for many people to face because they feel like that's an immense failure on themselves but it's like that opportunity for reflection. Like you were talking mm-hmm. about, Risto, that it really requires you to be reflective and have that resilience to bounce back, which is another one that I always found interesting that we're always like, oh, well, we got to teach these kids to be resilient. I'm like, that kid's way more resilient than you. He taught <laughs> me how to be resilient. What are you talking about? It's yeah. so offensive to that person. It's like, no, we sometimes don't as teachers. And that's like a hard reality for us to take. Is, we're not as resilient or as strong as we think we are. So you gotta like, look out for each other and find those support networks, which is really hard to see, especially coming from my experiences, Is you're kind of thrown out there like, you can do this, right? Because I have fires throughout the building. Like you said about smoking weed and drugs and like throughout the school, I, we had to deal with that. We had to figure that out in middle class. Like, why does it smell like a frat party? Yeah. In the middle of this massive gym. And then you find out somebody picked a lock to go to the locker room and they're having a uh, session in the shower stall of just smoking. Like that's a reality that sometimes happens. It's not the norm. Definitely my school was interesting, but totally understandable. What are your thoughts, Zach?
3: Like I, I sometimes like I wish someone like would have like there's a way to like see what I would be going through and to know that like what you just said, it could take. Like you're not going to do any teaching the first year, and there's been weeks where I didn't get to teach a a, a single full lesson this year. And if it it would be awesome if it would be okay to still have some PE, but the and the, but to really focus on building those relationships. But the professional standards don't change where you go. The standards are the standards. I get observed with these with these criteria. So while it might be best practices for urban PE to do it this way, the the professional the professional practices doesn't does, does not align and or accommodate for an urban environment at all. But to be fair, like you could apply those same criteria in an urban environment. And if you were perfectly adapted to an urban environment, then you would hit those criteria. But first year teacher, all these things considered, it's just this crazy cycle, man. It's an absolutely crazy cycle of not being prepared when you get into urban PE, and figuring it out, and that's where I am right now, is getting into research and figuring it out for next year.
0: Yeah, I think one of the biggest ones that always sticks to sticks with me is this one student didn't show up for two and a half weeks. Shows up, mm-hmm. everything was kind of okay. It wasn't good. This is like my first year. Like it's not good. I'll be honest. And it's his first day there, and I'm like, hey, what? What's your name? And he just like looks at me. You proceeded to give me a colorful epithet, and was just like, "Hey, you're from the other side of the tracks." And then I, at that point, I've already been there for a couple of weeks, so I kind of understood the dynamics a little bit. And in some environments, like that's a like a no go. Don't step into a student's face and like have that confrontation. But it literally had to be a confrontation. Is like, I don't care where I'm from, but we're here to learn and we're here to do this. If you're not going to do that fine, whatever, but I'm going to be here tomorrow, I'm going to be here the next day. Yeah. From that moment on, he was like one of my better kids. I mean, he was into a lot of stuff, but sometimes you have those moments that nobody preps you for, you have no idea how to handle it, and you just have to adapt to culturally like how it's responded there. Mm-hmm. It may not necessarily be appropriate, but it's so weird from like what I was used to growing up.
1: I, I feel like because the students that are graduating right now are now starting to like apply for jobs and things like that. And so I keep telling them like, listen, your first year is, it's going to be a mess. It doesn't matter where you get a job. Like you could have, you know, the most ideal, idealistic, you know, placement ever. But that first year you're, you're getting used to so many things. You're getting used to a school culture. You're getting used to student culture, your coworkers, how your principal operates, like the community you're in now. There's so many things that you're adjusting to in that first year and those can change, you know, quickly. And um, I, I think students get a little bit upset that I tell them that at the very end of their program. But I think if I told them at the beginning, I would lose students left and right. Um, and I don't want to sit there and, and suggest that I know exactly what their, their situation is going to be like. But um, we, we try our very best to get them used to or, or uh, to, to reduce that culture shock like you were talking about that, you know. and. We even went into a school this semester, and I have a much smaller cohort this time around. And so we were there. We only went once a week, and I could tell that it was going to be a a harder sell to get the students to sort of um, buy into who we are because, you know, when you get that um, that revolving door of teachers, you know, that has an impact on students. They, you know, they there's not a a, an instant trust uh, with teachers if if they're constantly leaving. So so many little things that you, you try to like sneak that into your, your class topics and some folks hear it and others don't cause they're, you know, sending a text message or, or on the, on the TikTok or whatever they're on now. Um, it'll change by next week, but, um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to get, like, I don't know that there's a way to fully prepare students, uh, or pre-service teachers to, to be ready for an urban environment, um, without just being in that context for, for mm-hmm. a while, you know?
0: The classic trial by fire you just gotta do it and then whatever and I, and I, becomes and I, what you become yeah
2: and i and i think it is right that you have to be exposed to that environment to be yeah. there um but i also i also feel really you know strongly for those uh, teachers that go in for that first year and they don't quit they don't quit mid-year because there's a ton of teachers there's like I don't need this. You know, like they, they get a degree and they're just like, you know what, I made a mistake. I'm gonna go do something else. Or uh, you know, my my mom or dad or brother or sister or whatever has a construction company and I can just go work for there and they just kind of bounce mid-year. But you know, for those educators that stay that first year and have that really big sit down and go, Am I failing? And and I don't remember what paper I read in college and in, in grad school that said this, but it was like staying meant you know, misery, but leaving meant failure. Leaving meant mm-hmm. like you're leaving all these students because you see that the teachers who have a really big impact are those who stay, who are staples to that school, who learn how to work in that system. But then if you leave, you're like a failure. And and I think that that's a really tough uh, tough scenario for first year teachers. And I know, you know, the student that I worked with um he battled with that you know he went through a lot more than and there'll be a paper or two coming out on this so i'm not (laughs) i'm not spoiling that story because it was really good um you know he he eventually exactly yeah he eventually like just uh, he was going to take another job and like for better or for worse like he is much happier day to day in his new job and he gets to teach and he gets to do all of the things that he was trained to do and it's not a struggle every day going to work and so you think about that in a in an early career teacher first year second year third year you're you're in your 20s or whatever however old you are when you start teaching but like what's your happiness level and it, it sucks to even like bring it up like that but are you going to be miserable for five years to teach in this school that doesn't support you and has you know these expectations that you can't meet and there's no discipline in the school so it's just like all over the place when you walk in there and then you leave and you're just like you need to have a six pack of beer right as soon as you get home because <laughs> mm-hmm. like you can't you can't handle it you know and i and i think that's really tough and that's um our our colleague kevin richards would talk about this in teacher socialization so i'm just like going to bring it in here but we have to teach that Burnout cycle too in our program, and I think sarah was right. Don't teach it right away. You know, let's let's like the passion for the educator to stick around the program and learn. But towards the end, like let's expose them, expose them to what the reality is. You you might burn out. Here are the ways to combat that.
0: Absolutely, I love that perspective. Trying to give teachers kind of like how not to get burnout by doing this, this, and this, like. We all need it. I know for me, my cycle changed drastically from each year. I know my first year teaching, my burnout cycle was like once a week. I felt burnout. Then as the year went on, it went like two, three weeks. Then it went a month. And then the next year it was like, I don't even think I called off more than three times. And those were just for like mental health refreshers. And then like the year after that, I didn't use any time off until the end of the year when there was nobody in the building. Like it's just something that you kind of like working your muscles out. And when you go out to the gym, it's like the more work you put in, the longer you can last. But I understand it's just not this right environment for everybody. Interesting.
3: Was that when you saw those improvements, was that you, like solely you being reflective and applying things, or did you have some support from like, your team or your administration?
0: I think for me, I was really lucky. It was a very awkward situation. He'll actually be on a podcast in the future. I walked into an interview at the charter school. I was at my first year and saw somebody walk through the office. I'm like, I think I know that guy. And I was like, yeah, maybe I don't walk in interview, starts, sit down and they introduce each other to me. And I'm just like, Oh, we were in college together. So it was like a perfect environment to like walk into where I had a vice principal that a was very motivated to make change in the school. Mm -hmm. B I was also there with one of my good friends from college. And as soon as we got there, we were able to start make making changes and implement some of the stuff that I learned at teacher's college. That's amazing. Um, So it was just a very lucky situation. But I don't want to say that's we didn't put in work because we constantly failed for month after month. We had yeah. some great phenomenal lessons, but I also had the principal, like the vice principal, who was like my direct supervisor, cuss me out because he's like, that was horrible. Like, what were you doing? But that was also one of the worst classes I had. And it was also mm-hmm. co-taught and it was very weird dynamic and it wasn't with my buddy was with another teacher who had completely different philosophy and did everything the way I would never do it. Mm -hmm. But that's part of that, figuring out that dynamic. I think the biggest part is they saw that I kept showing up and I kept engaging and I kept trying to push that I'm a valued teacher. And I think after a while they noticed I wasn't the same as some of the other teachers in the building. I try to pride myself in not screaming at students, yelling at students. This is pretty much how I talk all the time. If I yell, it's because somebody's doing something dangerous or something crazy that you shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. That's just how. Can we I talk, engage? Can, can we I, talk more
2: about that? I'm 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 really interested to hear this in other um, from other people's perspectives. The the school that I went to, you know. That I taught in in the beginning, a lot of teachers yelled.
3: Right? Yes,
2: it was like the the teacher yelled, the you know person who was supervising the hallway kind of person yelled, the assistant principal yelled, and it's just like throughout the whole school there was this you know you have to yell. Whereas that's not how I was taught. That's not how I want to mm-hmm. teach. I feel like. You can talk to a lot of people very calmly and get the same reaction. But I think because I was one of the only people who taught like that, I got stepped all over. And 100%. They, uh, granted, there are probably tons of other things that I was doing wrong, but you know, I, I looked at that and I was like, I, I, I got their attention when I yelled. And when I did, I got them to sit down and be quiet and look, and I would always say like, did you notice what you just did? You just sat down and did what I asked you to do because I yelled. Do you like getting yelled at? Like, I just don't understand this because I hate when people yell at me and force me to do things. When I ask you to do things, I feel like that's way more civil. And so it was hard to create that culture in that classroom with the minimal amount of times that I saw them every single week, too. Right. To then just like go out and then it all, all kind of changed.
0: I think I was I don't lucky you've
2: experienced similar things.
0: Definitely. There are some classes that would do that, but I think in general it was just like my persona and how I just didn't get bothered. Every time I walked around like seeing other teachers in the building, they were visibly frustrated. And let's be honest, as a white male, it's pretty easy to see if I'm upset or frustrated. So they're just gonna keep doing it. Why are you now, turn so pink? Exactly. There'll be like funny comments and then it'll be like banter back and forth. But I think one of my benefits was I learned that in Philadelphia, there's a culture of bidding. So it was like way to make jokes at each other. So once you kind of establish that you're there for them and you can actually use your relationship and your social capital, they enjoy that. They kind of don't see you much as that authoritarian figure, which kind of worked for me. I don't think that always works for everybody, but it turned into more of the relationship guiding everything. So I didn't have to like scream. It would just be like, hey, we know I'm respecting you right now, but you're disrespecting me and respecting the neighborhood is a big thing. Um respects would lead to street beefs and then shootings and like i've had i think my first year like 13 kids shot and like involved in shootings just the first year so respect was like a huge one so if you called somebody out and said they were being disrespectful and could identify it nine times out of ten it would just an instant change depending on who you were some people in the building if they did that it just wouldn't work because they never Mm -hmm. took the time to establish that relationship For me, it took months to get to that point. It took so much disrespect from kids and so much like pushback and like just failure that it was literally a test because they tried to push teachers out as quick as they can and they would tell you. The last day where it really started to change and go to the positive direction, one of the students came up to me before class and he goes, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it anymore you're staying like I can't I'm like what are you talking about we're trying to get you fired and you just won't go away like so I guess she's so like can we can we start over are we cool I was like yeah that's fine he was like one of my best kids the rest of the year he was like amazing but it's that's awesome. just like one of those changes that happens that the, each school's different it's like I also had one of the biggest problem kids actually teaching my classes sometimes where I'd flip it and be like, oh, this kid is the leader. He would, he was the muscle in the streets basically. So there was tons of kids that feared him. Like sadly he actually was, I guess, just booked this past year for a triple attempted homicide. Like he was one of these Uber in the streets, kids, super brilliant. He was smart kid, but he was a natural leader. He had a charisma. People followed him. Part of that was fear. But I was able to use him as a teacher in the class. So some of the lessons I would actually let him teach as like an incentive for more students to get engaged versus me going up there and trying to teach. He would guide majority of the class and I'd take the lower skill level kids and then we would kind of have like smaller sessions. So I think it's just like adapting and figuring out what your neighborhood culture and your students assets are and how to use those as you kind of talked about in the paper
1: yeah i think um you bring up some really great points about respect and i think for so many of us you know i mean i grew up you you respect the teacher you follow what they say just because they're the teacher and for no other reason and i think that's shifted slightly um just because you know even in the most ideal situations, if a kid does something wrong or a teacher has to call home, you know, the, the parent, you know, immediately asks, well, what, what were you doing to make my kid react this way? But I think in urban schools, especially, it's really important to, to like, drop that need for respect from a student, like first, like drop that immediately, yeah. give, give respect to, to get respect. And I, that's, I know that's a big shift um for a lot of folks just because you know that's that's the white middle class way right you 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 respect authority and and a teacher is considered an authority but um it's it's so much more about just respecting the individual as as a you know it it's it it seems so simple when you really break it down like when you treat your students like like humans like individuals like that they are Instead of just a group of kids that you have to to watch or entertain or are in charge of for forty or fifty minutes, you know things kind of shift, and and that's difficult to. It's difficult to break that down into for me at least into like. You can say it all day long, but for 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 teachers and for for developing teachers especially to really grasp that and see that in effect um, is can be really powerful, and I think Stephen, you just mentioned like you know, you kept giving respect and and giving respect and giving respect until the students were finally like, okay, like this guy's sticking around. He's legit. He's not, you know, he, he respects us. Like we can respect him too. Um, and that's a big, uh, that's a big thing that I think is, is missing in a lot of, of scenarios. So
0: it's, it's also awkward, right? You never would think that as a teacher, you have to earn respect. You would think of the other way around and I think that's the sad reality. And so many teachers go into there like, "Oh, I'm a teacher. Or like, I should just be respected. I'm going to be respectful." But the reality is, they've been failed so many times by adults. Why should they ever actually trust you until you earn it? Yeah.
3: And it's not you. Like, I I completely agree with with everybody. And just talking to the other special teachers, they say the exact same thing. Like they, they may have like they grew up in these neighborhoods that I'm teaching at, but they're still saying, like, I'm a teacher, you give me respect. Like you don't just come in here and do like so everyone's on board with that. But just so like the culture is so different and expanding. I think just something I, to keep in mind for, for new teachers.
2: Yeah. And I think that there's certain certain things that uh, build you more cultural capital in in specific uh, areas. So in our um, after-school program in, in East Harlem. Um, my uh, colleague, Ray Frederick, and I, we we put out a paper, the Reach Harlem Boys Paper in Physical Education and Sport Pedagogy. Um, and we talk about how, you know, Ray um, identifies an af- African-American male, played Division I basketball, and he's a doctoral candidate at Teachers College at uh, at the time in physical education, so he's got all of those check marks when we go in and run a basketball program in a school that has ninety-eight percent black and Hispanic population. So in our in our program, it's you know mostly African American males who have a passion for basketball. So we start an in indoor like as an inside gym instead of having to play outside, which is really hard to come by in in manhattan to get indoor space so we provide an indoor space for them to play basketball and ray comes in there and you know he's super super talented in basketball he you know is an african-american male who's really 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 intelligent in physical activities and because he's you know, getting his doctorate in physical education and curriculum. He has a military background, so he's got this really strong leadership. And so all of those things, it, it was a very different respect level than this guy coming in. I wore a Columbia polo shirt and, you know, had my hair spiked up and I'm like this white kid from California who is like walking into the gym and they they shared less with me. they, they respected me less they listened to me but it was just kind of like and i'm not good at basketball so like i i spent that whole time you know during basketball season wrestling you know so i didn't build that skill so i came in with less cultural capital less um you know social capital because i you know didn't know basketball which had almost a monetary value in that community if you were good at basketball you were really cool And so it took me a really long time to build that, but, you know, probably like nine months in they're like, man, this guy's not going anywhere. And so when I actually sat down at the end of the year with the, uh, with the qualitative interviews, they opened up and they they didn't hold back anything. They were asking for advice and, you know, but it took me a way longer time than, than what took for Ray to get the same, same experience because I was, I was lacking, and I was also lacking in knowledge, and so I think those are, those are programs that have taught me a lot.
0: Absolutely, it's interesting how in the critical review, we mention how a lot of times teachers and researchers will look at the students as having a deficit, but the reality is the teacher actually has a deficit, and that's something that we just don't really address, as it's kind of like, oh, well, they'll figure it out, or they should have that skill, they have the degrees, but even with like the degrees the knowledge and all of that if you're missing the certain pieces like you suggested with the social capital or just like the ability to kind of blend in or assimilate it can be very complicated i kind of want to like get ready to wrap this up so one of the phrases that i really enjoyed uh, we're going to dive into as like the last one before wrap it up um Students enter classrooms with their own agency. They are experts in their own lives, knowledgeable about their own experiences and communities. What are some tangible ways for current and future physical educators to begin exploring an additive perspective?
1: Awesome question. Ways that we can, like tangible ways for developing teachers to uh, rephrase that question one more time for me.
0: Um, so basically what are some quick and easy ways for teachers to start exploring additive perspective? So like, what are some, what are, what's your advice for them? Like, what should they be doing?
1: I think coming into a classroom or a gym with, um, with their ears open for more than just, you know who likes who and who's picking on who, you know, listen to the things that kids are talking about, you know, what, what are the, the teams that they follow? What are the, um, the video games they play? Who, you know, what are the dances that they're, you know, that you're trying to get them to sit down and stop doing that dance for two seconds. So I can explain these directions, you know, um, obviously Bristow gave us an example of the floss earlier. Excellent example, by the way Uh, you know, listen to those things that you can, those can be like conversation starters. Um, you know, you can, you can listen for that stuff and then ask kids about it without prying into their lives and thinking that, you know, you have to know everything about them, but, um, and just using really neutral terms, you know, um, not every kid lives with a, a mom and a dad some kids are living with uh and that i mean that goes anywhere anymore but you know you might have kids living with uh grandparents or or older siblings or things like that just listening for those things to to kind of pick up on or um one a lot of times i'll ask kids about like they'll have lanyards you know their their school id and their keys and like who's on their lanyard and like sometimes there's kids that have like all these anime characters i'm like oh who's then? I have no idea who, what these things are, but I I can, and I'm not faking an interest, but I'm trying to figure out like what makes this particular kid uh, tick? Like what are they into? And, and because if you can show that, demonstrate that they have um, that, you know, that they're, that they do, they belong there, that they, they don't have to just like all the sports that you're, you know, particularly sharing with them or all the activities, but um, just picking up on those little things to start building relationships, I think is a, is an, amazing way for that to happen so
2: yeah i'll i'll kind of reinforce what uh what sarah was saying as well and you know add add to the if you're looking at what can you do right now i think people who are listening to this podcast are already doing one good thing they're exploring different opinions they're listening to different uh people think about um what's happening you know if you're if you're listening to a physical education podcast period you're interested in how to make yourself a better teacher. Um, You know, some of the things that I think sometimes get forgotten in uh, once, once teachers leave teacher education programs is reflecting, like, there is a reason why in pre-service teacher programs, we talk about, you know, we give you these reflections that to some people seem like busy work, like, oh, why do I have to do a reflection on my teaching? Oh, like, I'm, this is so boring or like, this is such busy work. It's like, no, like that is, that is a basis of good teaching is to be a reflective teacher. And if you're not journaling and what you're doing every single day or weekly or monthly, and you're not reflecting on your practice, you're not videotaping yourself teaching and figuring out what, what to do. Like, I think the big connection is you're not we don't want you to come to a teacher education program to check boxes and learn how to turn in assignments it's we're trying to build you to become a reflective teacher and we're teaching you systematic observation so you can actually look at what you're doing wrong as a teacher and and change and you know the other things i would add that are immediate things that you can do is is read more but the research gate is there's a ton of articles on there for free. If you ever need an article that you can't find, email the author and say, hey, I'd like to read your article. They're going to send it to you, right? Don't, don't feel weird about, you know, and, and I'm, you know, I, I was going to say, don't feel bad about paying $40. You should always feel bad about paying $40 for any of one of my articles. <laughs> if, you know, uh, if, you, if you think about it like that's that's how much it costs to get one of my articles to read. Yes. That's why I put preprints up on on ResearchGate. It's the same information minus a couple of commas and changes. So you're getting the information on there. Um, and, you know, look into pushing yourself as a physical educator. Right. So I'll, I'm going to give a plug if I'm allowed to. OK, good. Plug away. You said yes. <laughs> you know, like we have our online master's program in physical education. It's 100 percent online you can go in and start really getting into the stuff and if you're curious about it go study with people who are also curious about it you know focus on physical education and a curriculum uh, program that's going to teach you how to be a better teacher to really use your school as a site for um site for research right Uh, to make you a better teacher I think Um, and the last thing is co-create your curriculum with your students Talk to them. Give them an assessment of what do you like, what do you not like, what is meaningful for you. Um, Talk to them. Co-create the curriculum. Like I just had the uh, physical education post-primary physical education uh, curriculum podcast on um, on our podcast. And in Ireland, if you go into secondary school, you your teacher has to. By the curriculum standards, you have to co-create that curriculum. So you don't know what that year student, that student group is going to pick. They vote democratically to pick what they find as interest-based and they create that curriculum through that. And so, you know, there's a ton of stuff, Carla Luguetti and Kimberly Oliver's stuff on activist approaches, um, David Kirk stuff and activist approaches. And when you look at it, you know why are you teaching ultimate frisbee in in an urban school that those kids are never going to pick up a frisbee ever again mm-hmm. if that was because they wanted to learn ultimate frisbee 100% i think you should teach it but if you learned ultimate frisbee in your teacher education program and then you bring in ultimate frisbee into that school because that's just what you were taught that's not that's not going to work So you got to ask, uh, ask the students.
0: Absolutely. I love that idea of democratic choice. Definitely empowering it with that. And that's something I try to add at the end of every year of teaching. What did you like? What didn't you like? How would you like it changed for next year? If you were to teach the program, what would you do? And this year, I'm yeah, going to start. And even in the middle of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly.
2: Exactly. Start the year with it. Or, you know, once you build that relationship, go in and ask, you know, in, in my even in my teacher education classes, mid-semester, I give mm-hmm. them a questionnaire. And I say, mm-hmm. you know, easy. Stop, start, continue. What am I doing that I should stop that hinders your learning? What can I do to help what am I doing that you want me to continue that helps your learning? And what do you want me to start doing that helps you learn better? And, you know, in the very beginning, there was some brutally honest things that I was doing very wrong. And every single semester, I'm changing, 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 trying to be a better better teacher every single semester. But if you're not listening to your, to your students, and, it's, and it doesn't help the student if you get an end-of-the-year questionnaire, because those students are now on to another class correct so they didn't benefit from it but if you ask early on and build that relationship through some of those activist approaches i think those are really really great ways to do it
0: by the way if you're listening and you haven't read kim oliver's paper on activist approaches you should start reading that right after this podcast ends zach do you want to close this out for the uh session yeah
3: great no pressure um so (laughs) like honestly i can speak right onto what risto said and the the surveys uh, after after these past couple weeks reading getting into the research and all these things i've already decided i I, i'm gonna make a survey just to see what my students what my students value because it's it's going to be drastically different than what i was trained on and what i grew up with so i just want to know and then i'm going to align it with whatever scope and sequence my district has. Um, But for new teachers, whether you're in school or getting into urban or you're in urban PE, first two things Risto said is reflect and read. And that's what I've been doing is just reading everything I can and reflecting on that into my situation. And how, how can you make the changes, What changes can you make? I'm, I'm just a single teacher. I'm just a single dude wrapping up his first year teaching. So I can't change a culture, but I I can try to influence the things that I can in my school. And I've already developed something I'm going to propose to my administration next week that attenuates a lot of the issues. And that's just based on um, some research and thinking read think apply read think apply do that over and over make a plan propose it if i run into a hurdle proposing it then you know uh, i'll be reflective and read and think again so wish me luck with that
0: <laughs> hey i know how that was i i did that with my uh, one buddy our first year we had to completely revamp the program and we mm-hmm. had to create like an entire proposal and then present that to the superintendent of our charter oh wow it actually all went through everything was good everything changed there was like massive change massive growth and then it all charter drama (laughs) yeah yeah but i think that's kind of a good spot to leave us at for the moment is just keep learning be reflective you should be reading more research there's plenty of great stuff out there if you need any advice on stuff to read i'm sure i can recommend some and i can recommend you to people that definitely produce it that you should be following on twitter social media definitely be checking out risto's podcast which is excellent and i've learned quite a bit um just keep learning thank you for joining us on wrapping pe thanks for having us thank you Hey, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. This is the first time doing this. I want to thank Risto, Sarah, and Zach for being my guinea pigs in my first ever podcast with guests. This has been one of those moments where you try and push students to grow, and I'm using this to my advantage to push my own growth and do something risky that I normally wouldn't do. To kind of inspire other educators as well as students to make that push to doing something that may scare you it may take you out of your comfort zone and that's okay and i hope that this leads to bigger discussions with fellow educators and provides a source of inspiration to be better after all i think that's what we are we're educators so we have to literally get better and that's part of the routine it was awesome having boss guests i'll admit i was nervous preparing for this the whole way up until recording until we were on and talking and then realized how down to earth everybody was risto was still risto that i remember from graduate school he's the funny guy um, Sarah, first time meeting her. She was awesome. She's hilarious. Um, I definitely recommend checking out her work. You should definitely look into her collaboration with Dylan Landy. Together, collaborated and released a special journal for Physical Education and Sport Pedagogy. Check out Physical Education and Sport Pedagogy's 2020 release of volume 25, issue number three, that's titled Equity and Diversity in Health, Physical Activity and Education. There's some powerful work from some awesome people in that journal, and I recommend it as a read. Um, Only two, maybe three articles into it, and they were able to get people together that are pointing out stuff that we need to be paying attention to right now. And you just need to read it. Read, 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 as at the end, read and reflect, that's a huge component of teaching. I'll try and attach some more work of some people you may or may not be familiar with and try to get them on as well to promote that discussion. But thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the show. Check out the resource provided in the description please subscribe to our podcast. Once again, hashtag PE is a good way to find us on Twitter. If you have any questions or would like to be a guest on the show, you can email me at rappingpe at gmail.com. On my Twitter, I also have a link where you can book appointments. I have times open throughout the week. Feel free to reach out. Feel free to check out the next episode. Goodbye for now, but until the next time, I would like to wish you peace and love. Take care.